Mark chapter 2. Let's stand together for the reading of the scripture tonight. And, and um, the Bible says in verse 1, And again he entered into Capernaum. In Mark chapter 1, we talked about some of the amazing things that happened when Jesus was in Capernaum. Capernaum was like his headquarters on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. He did some amazing things in Capernaum, but he left Capernaum and he made his way through um, the region of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And if you're not here on Sunday mornings, a lot of you are in the other building on Sunday mornings. The region of Galilee is about the same size as far as square miles as if you combine Franklin County and St. Louis County. That's about the size of Galilee. Jesus traveled around more than 250 villages and towns at that time in the region of Galilee. And of course, the Sea of Galilee is in the center of that. So he's been traveling. And in verse 1, it says, he, again, he entered into Capernaum. He's back to his headquarters after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. Word got out. And straightway, as soon as the news got out, many were gathered together. Insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Born being carried of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, because of the crowd, the people, they uncovered the roof where he was. These would have been a f- flat roofs, not like we have normally today. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Let him down through a hole in the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Bless on our time together. Help us to be focused, Lord, on what you'd have us to give our time to tonight in this passage. We pray for the Spirit's help and power As we speak, as we listen, as we apply, may you work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here Jesus returns once again to Capernaum. 
And this house, the house was just overcome with people. Notice what he did, it says in verse 2. When there was such a crowd of people that you couldn't even get in the door, he preached the word unto him, unto them. It's, it's really worth mentioning that this was the primary ministry of Jesus. He was known for his healing power. He was known for his miracles. But the primary thing he came to do was preach the gospel. He preached the word unto them. And he was, he was preaching, and as he was preaching, they brought this disabled man. The Bible says he was sick of the palsy. And that, that word palsy, it describes a paralytic. And generally it was a person who was paralyzed on one side of their body. He couldn't walk. He was sick of the palsy. He was born of four. That means that he was carried by four men. It's easy to visualize this. He's probably on some form of a stretcher. One person on every corner taking this man who was lame. He was paralyzed. He was incapacitated. And they were bringing him for one purpose because they had heard what Jesus was doing. He was, and if you were here in the Sunday mornings, we dealt with some of these passages. Virtually every sick person in town was getting healed. I mean, they were bringing everybody and Jesus was healing them. But because of the press, that's not NBC and CBS and fake news. This is, uh, this press is, this press is the pressure of the people, the crowd of people. They couldn't even get in the door. So what are they going to do? I mean, what would you do? That you can't get in the door, your goal, your objective, your desire, your dream is to get to Jesus, but there's no way to get to Jesus, so what should they do? You know, some people would say, well, the, the, God must not be in it. You know, you can't get to him, the door's closed, you can't get to him, but they tore the roof off the house. Something Brother Crane maybe would do. They, they, he's our demolition guy. They tore the roof off the house, and they lowered this paralyzed man down through the roof. And the Bible says in verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus was moved by their faith. And so what he said to them was in verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 5, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, that was an interesting thing for Jesus to say. Because up to this time, and this is very early in Jesus' ministry, but because of his healing ministry primarily, and nothing wrong with the healing ministry of Jesus, they appreciated it, we appreciate it, but that was the primary reason people came. And if you want to really be honest about it, many of the people who followed Jesus came really for the miracles or for the food or for, for both. They came to see the miracles. They wanted to see people healed. It was a very interesting thing to see. They would bring their loved ones, their friends. And, and so, but this matter of saying, thy, thy sins be forgiven thee, really brings to surface the primary reason Jesus was here. And it wasn't just to heal. It was to get people saved, to get the gospel to people, to bring salvation to sinners. And so when he said that, when he made that statement in verse 5, if you look there with me, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, people took issue with that. Verse 6, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. These are experts at the law, these are religious people. And they're thinking out loud, they're reasoning in their hearts, and what they're considering, verse 7, is the words that Jesus said. 
when he said, thy sins be forgiven thee, in verse 7, they have this question, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So these scribes take an issue with this. But really, they, they kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee, which in essence we know that's exactly who was forgiving the sins. God only. It was God. He is God. He was God. He always has been God. And so, so really he was the one that was forgiving. And by the way, and you've heard it before and you know it, but it's good to be reminded, the greatest miracle that could ever happen in a person's life is for their sins to be forgiven, for their life to be transformed. That's the greatest miracle. And if we're not careful, we kind of get drawn into all of the hoopla today about healing ministries sometimes and, and, and things that really often aren't verifiable. And we want to see, you know, we want to see somebody's leg grow. Or we want to see, you know what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, the greatest thing that God could ever do for a person is to, to forgive their sins and save their soul and change their life. Physical healing happens, and physical healing may be for the rest of your life, but eternal life is forever. Amen. It's the greatest miracle. And, and so Jesus is, Jesus is offering this man forgiveness and saying, thy sins be forgiven. And then Jesus did this in verse 8. He confronted their thinking. Immediately when Jesus perceived in verse 8 in his spirit that they so reason among themselves or within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if every time you or I were thinking something that's ridiculous, if Jesus were to say, why are you thinking that? By the way, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what we're reasoning. He knows our thoughts. If they're Positive thoughts, if they're praiseworthy thoughts, he knows that. If they're negative thoughts, if they're critical thoughts, he knows that. He knows. And so Jesus just confronted them about their thought life. And we know this about these people. They were not there to rejoice in God's work. That wasn't their purpose. They were there to find fault. They were there to criticize. And basically what we're witnessing here in the early part of the ministry of Jesus is what became the opposition that would eventually lead to his arrest and his crucifixion. Because they always had these people who really relished in the idea that they might somehow catch him in his words. What a purpose in life. It reminds me of some journalists. I want to call them by name. It's they always have this, this gotcha moment. They always want to catch you in something. And that's the way these people were with Jesus. And so Jesus said to them in verse 9, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, is that easier? Or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. Which which is the easier to say? And then verse 10, but that you may know. Now this is a very important thing, I think. Verse 10, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins He saith to the sick of the palsy. Let's just hit the pause button there for just a moment. You know, sometimes people have the idea that Jesus sort of 
kept his divinity, his deity hidden. Like he didn't want people to know it. But he says he wanted them to know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He is, he, in other words, he wasn't hiding who he was. And the Son of Man is a term that relates to his deity, to his being God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Verse 11, I say unto thee, say unto this paralyzed man, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way to thy house. Jesus declared this man to be healed. And verse 12 says, Immediately he picked up his stretcher, he left the house, and they were amazed. I love the phrase at the end of verse 12, We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw anything like this. Isn't that an amazing thing? I want, to, I want to take a little bit of time tonight and just look at this story through this lens of the faith that was represented in these people. I think most of us would agree that we could all use a, a faith lift sometimes in our life. Um, the Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, faith is something that's inside of us. Faith is something that's personal. Faith is a belief system that's between us and God. So you can't see as far as seeing the faith itself, but their faith could be seen by what they were doing. Does that make sense to you? What they were doing demonstrated to Jesus that they had faith. Now, I'm of the persuasion that this paralyzed man also had faith. I mean, they weren't kidnapping this man. He was, I I don't think he's going along by coercion. But Jesus saw their faith. Their faith could be seen. And And it brings the question to my mind, if someone was watching us, if someone observed us tomorrow as we went through our day, would people see our faith? And I want you to really give your mind to this tonight because I think the knee-jerk reaction would be, well, preacher, people can't see what's in your heart. People can't know what you're thinking. People can't know what you're believing. But according to the Bible, Jesus could see their faith, and he could see their faith because of the way they were living. It brings to mind, and I'm going to go to this passage for a moment, and I'm going to come right back here to Mark chapter 2. But turn in your Bible, if you would, please. To the book of James, and James, the second chapter. And that's that passage where it talks about, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works. James chapter 2. And let's just read a few verses here together because this is a great text, a great passage about this matter of faith and works. Faith that is seen by works, not faith. Not works that are a substitute for faith, but works that will accompany faith. Now please, please think through these words as we're reading them together. And I hope you have your Bible open. You're looking at the scripture. We're in James chapter 2 and verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? In other words, what good is it? What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Can that kind of faith save a person? If they have, if they say they have faith, if I were to 
If I were to ask most of the people in this room tonight, are you a person of faith? Have you, are you trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Almost everybody in this room would say, would say yes. But if I were to ask you, show me in your life the evidence of that, the fruit of that. What is that faith that you have do for the way you live? And so that's, that's kind of the question in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? And then he gives us a hypothetical situation. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, if you knew somebody who didn't have clothes and they were starving, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? If, if, you, you know, if, you, if someone is starving and someone is without clothes, then all you can do as a believer is say, God bless you. you know, God be with you. Is that profiting? And the answer, of course, no, that doesn't profit them in the least. And and by the same token in verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. If faith, if your faith does not produce corresponding fruit or actions or lifestyle changes, then your faith is not legitimate faith. It's, It's not Bible faith because faith will produce works. It goes on and says in verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. Works, you know, some people get stumble over this and think it's talking about faith for salvation or works for salvation, but that's really not what it's about. It's about real faith. Because real faith will produce changes. Uh, Brother Jason, I didn't tell him this morning, but he brought a tremendous Sunday school lesson this morning in the 10 o'clock hour. And he talked about that passage where Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll know them. You can't see what's inside of them, but you'll know it by their fruit, by the way they live, by the way, by the way their faith affects their life. Young person, if your faith is not affecting the way you think, the way you talk, the way you respond to authority, if your faith is not affecting your life, you ought to ask yourself, am I, do I really have Bible faith? He, and he, and he throws out another illustration in James 2, verse 19. Thou believest that there's one God. Thou doest well. You say, well, I believe in God. And the, James says, good. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, you believe, well, so the devils believe. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Well, do you not, do you not know that? With, that faith that has no works is dead. It's dead faith. It's not really living faith. And then he talks about someone else. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? He said, how do you know? How do you know that Abraham had great faith? Could you see inside his heart? I'll tell you how we know. Because he obeyed God and took his only son up on Mount Moriah 
to offer his son as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God. And you can't see inside his heart to know that he has faith, but you can tell by looking at what he does. He was a man of great faith. So we're talking about seeing our faith. And there ought to be evidence of our faith. Genuine faith will be accompanied by works. Not working in order to be saved, but working because you're saved. It changes the way we act. It changes, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we respond to people. And if you think about the characters of the Bible, people like Daniel, people like Noah, people like Mary, the mother of Jesus, people like Gideon, you know what you see about all of them? All of them were people of faith. And how do you know they were people of faith? By what they did. By what they did. Our faith can be seen in our works. Now that's true. Let's go back if we could to Mark chapter 2. That's true in salvation. Saving faith will bring noticeable changes. Because You know why? Because God moves inside a person. Right? He makes changes. <laughs> Thank God for that. But let me, let me throw, say this. This is true not only in salvation, but it's true in our living faith. Faith that we live by in our daily lives. It brings about changes in our life. It changes the way we think about things. It, it influences our life. And I know there's a, there's a, I guess a common belief that people say, well, all I really care about is if I'm going to heaven when I die, I just want my sins forgiven. I just don't really, I'm not, I'm not necessarily interested in, in really living the Christian life, but I'm telling you, it's all the same package. It's all the same. You can't, you can't have one. You can't, there's, that, that is not salvation. That is not Bible salvation. Bible salvation is we turn from our sin, we trust Christ as our Savior, and He saves us, and whether you planned on it or not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to radically affect the way you live. Amen? Thank God for that. And people ought to see that. Right? People ought to see that. And... Sometimes I think we may think, well, God's will is, requires so much of me that I, I just don't know that I can ever do it. But, I, but we, we, we learn to walk with God in increments, step by step. And the more we obey God, the more God works in our life. And we see the evidence of God's work and the more we obey God. And so back here in Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus saw in verse 5 their faith. Jesus saw their faith. And I want to give you a few practical ways from this text that I believe that their faith manifested itself with evidence. And first of all, I want to say, I think their faith could be seen in their compassion. They cared about somebody other than themselves. And by the way, that's, for many of us, we would say that's one of the biggest, one of the big changes God made in our life. You know, I, I can't even imagine a person. I can't, I've known a lot of people in my lifetime. I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever met a person any more selfish than I was before I got saved. 
You know, God changes the way we feel about ourselves, about God, about the Bible, about other people. And they had compassion on this. They cared about this man. We don't know who he was. He may have been a friend. He may have been a family member. He may have been a neighbor. We don't know who he was. But these men cared enough about him that they put him on a stretcher and carried him. We don't know how far. Maybe a few blocks. Maybe a village or two away. We don't know how far they went. But I know this, they cared about somebody that had a need. And this is something all of us need, a faith that produces compassion and caring for other people. The second thing I think is faith, their faith was manifested was not in their compassion, but in their confidence. Not confidence in themselves, but confidence in Jesus. They believed that Jesus could heal this paralyzed man. A man that couldn't walk. A man who was disabled, was crippled. They believed that Jesus could, they had complete confidence. And by the way, that's what we ought to, we, if we really have faith, one of the ways it ought to show up is we trust the Lord. Not perfectly, none of us have arrived perfectly trusting him, but our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the Lord. A third way their faith was manifested, I believe, not only in their compassion and confidence, but in their effort. They brought this man to Jesus. I mean, this was, they didn't even have, they didn't even have a motorized stretcher. You know what I'm saying? It took effort. It took, it took, they had to, took involvement. They, they, they used their energy. They invested their time bringing this man to Jesus. Their faith resulted in their deeds of service. And I think the same could be said about us. If our faith is real, if we really have faith in God, if we really believe, as we sang earlier, that we've been redeemed, that we've been purchased, that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, if we really believe that our life is not our own, that we belong to Him, it will manifest itself in us wanting to get involved and serve. It may lead us in paths of obedience and service. So their faith could be seen. Jesus said, He saw their faith. He saw it in their compassion. He saw it in their confidence. He saw it in their effort. But fourthly, I want to say, it was it was seen in their cooperation. They worked together as a team. It makes me suspect that they were probably not independent Baptists. (laughs) They worked together. Cooperation. I was noticing today, if you're looking there in Mark chapter 2, Notice the, the, the pronoun they. Look in verse 3. It says, And they came unto, come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, there it is again the third time, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, fifth time, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy was, and when Jesus saw their faith. they were It was not... By the way, ministry is not a solo activity. It's not, you know, if a person wants to be in the ministry and get all the credit and all the glory and all the recognition, then then do it by yourself. But that's not the way the Bible designed it. He designed it as a team effort. It's not a solo effort. It requires cooperation. It requires us getting along with other people, investing with other people. And by the way, the more we're harnessed together, the more ministry will take place. 
So he saw it in their cooperation. Their faith was seen. And then the last thing I want to notice. How could he see their faith? How could, he, how could Jesus see that they had faith? And I want to say they were seen in their determination. Because their plans were interrupted by unforeseen problems. Can I say to you today, anybody who gets involved in the ministry and stays involved in the ministry, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face obstacles. You're going to face difficulties. Some from within, some from without. The circumstances. The circumstances are not always convenient. There was no, there was no conventional way to get this man to Jesus. I mean, you'd think the people on the inside would see and say, clear the way, make room for this person, but no. They got their seat, they're not giving it up. And so, there, so there's, there's a problem about this. And, and it seems like the appearance is that doors have closed. And it, this is really worth thinking about because most of us at some time in our life or maybe numerous time in our life, we're going to find that it just doesn't seem that what we're doing is working. But does that mean that God's not in it? Not necessarily. It may just be a test or a trial. And for these people, they had such faith that they said, okay, if we can't go through the door and we can't go through the window, there's another option. We'll go through the roof. We'll tear the roof off. Now, this really did happen. And so faith, real faith, may, may face setbacks or obstacles, but their faith was seen in their determination. In the fact that they just would not stop. They would not quit until they accomplished. Now I want to just conclude this lesson tonight with this thought. God's work almost in every, every occasion, every example, God's work requires the faith of people. Now, Surely you understand this or believe this. If Jesus wanted to, he could have transported this crippled man through space, right? He could have, he could have brought him right in over the crowd and set him down right if he wanted to. But Jesus uses people. Whether it's taking the gospel around the world or taking the gospel to your neighbor, Jesus uses people. And, and I can't read this story, I can't read this passage without marveling at the power of Jesus Christ and rejoicing in the miracle that occurred for this crippled man, but also recognizing the important role that those four men had in getting this man to Jesus. Um, Everybody wants to see God work, right? Everybody does. I would hope that. Everybody wants to see people saved. Everybody wants to see lives changed. Everybody wants to see marriages salvaged. God wants to see, people want to see their young people, they want to see their young people grow spiritually. But I'm telling you, what often stands between God's finished product and where a person presently is is the faith of people. You know, Naaman is a classic example of someone that was instantly, miraculously healed, transformed in a moment of time, covered with leprosy, covered 
with this dreadful disease. And what was it that healed him? It wasn't what, it was who. Jesus healed him. God healed him. He came up out of that water on the seventh time and he was a new man. But you know what God used between his pitiful physical state and, a, and making him over physically into a, a clean, new, healthy man? It was his faith in God. He, God said, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to be willing to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And of course, we know the story. He didn't want to do it. There are other, uh, we had rivers in Syria much more impressive than the Jordan River. But when he used his faith, when he exercised his faith and did what God wanted him to do, God worked a miracle. God's work often depends upon our faith and involvement. And what, it would, what would it be like? I mean, we think about this, this very encouraging story tonight, this report from the ministry down there at Fort Leonard Wood, where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have been converted. I've been preaching in churches before and someone will walk up to me and introduce themselves and tell me about how they got saved through that ministry. Now, I mean, don't would we not all agree that's really good stuff? But how does it happen? You say, well, God's doing it. But what's in between, what's in between these people's lost condition and the life-changing experience that what's in between that? And the answer is it's people's faith. The church that has the ministry the people who drive the buses, the people who cook the meals every Sunday, the church members who give up their seats on Sunday night so that these soldiers can sit in them, the churches like this, the people like the individuals in this room that every week or every month they write out a check and they say, I want this to go to missions. And it's that faith and that obedience that results in God's work being done. What if everybody would see this? What if everybody would grasp this and say, you know, God does a lot of wonderful things, but we want Him to do even more, and I'm going to use my faith. I'm going to invest my faith. I'm going to exercise my faith to see what God could do. If these guys would have just sat back and, you know, watched the ball game, spend time eating you know, chips and sauce on that day and say, you know, I'm just really busy. I've worked all week. I just don't, I'm not, I just don't really feel like, what if they would have been that way? And you say, well, that's not the same thing. I think it's exactly the same thing. People were blessed last night because young people went to their homes and sung these carols and you may not appreciate that, but I'm telling the people that were there really appreciated it. It was a blessing But somebody had to drive the bus and somebody had to come up with the idea and somebody had to make it happen. And I'm not praising people. I'm just saying there's generally, there's generally in between the need of people and the provision of God, there are people like these four people. And we could say, well, preacher, I know that I don't do much or I don't do anything and I don't give and I can't be depended on, but I have faith. Can your faith be seen? Can your faith be seen? These people, you could see their faith. I think there are times when we're waiting on God to move, and maybe God's waiting on us to obey and waiting on us to believe. I'm telling you, people, people, don't take this the wrong way. People need God, 
but people need us. You know what these guys did? They got him to Jesus. They didn't help this man themselves. They couldn't heal this disease. But somebody had to get him to Jesus. They brought this paralyzed man to the place where Jesus was what? Where Jesus was preaching. Jesus never put a sign up outside and said, healing campaign. He was preaching the word to them. And they brought this terribly, terribly hurting man to them. I mean, what would Jesus have you to do tonight as a result of your faith? Maybe you've been, maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you've never been saved. You've never truly been born again. Salvation's a miracle. Amen? It's a miracle. God does it. But we have to put our faith in Him. And for many of us, and I'm looking around this room, and I know this for a fact for many of us, there was somebody in between our lost condition and God's salvation that helped us get to Jesus. Maybe you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized. Your faith, that's one of the ways our faith is seen. That's, your, your baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, but it's an expression of your faith. Maybe, maybe you're at a place spiritually and, and you're not happy with where you are. And maybe you even say, well, I'm okay, you don't act like... But down deep inside, you know that God wants more for you. And maybe you're stuck... And, and, and you're wanting God to do something, but you don't want to do it. Let me, let me give you a suggestion. Why don't you go to somebody that you respect and say, look, I need help. I, I need somebody to be accountable to. I need somebody to spend time in the Bible with me. I need somebody to help me spiritually. Get involved. In a, use your faith. People can't save us. People can't cleanse us. God can, but God uses our faith. Maybe you need to surrender your life to God and quit Quit deciding for yourself everything you're going to do. And say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to trusting you. I'm going to quit blaming people and finding fault. I'm going to go back to loving you and obeying you and rejoicing in your goodness and being obedient to anything you want me to do. No strings attached. It could be a life-changing moment for you. Maybe you need to become more of a team player for the good of the whole. I was praying, driving, driving here tonight and praying. And, and I was praying for people, individual people that I know. And I didn't say these words, but I thought them. It was in my mind from the sermon this morning. I thought what these people need is an Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Where they're so rattled and shaken and terrified at the prospects of where they are. That they want more than anything is another chance to change and be a better person. I've been praying that since I thought that. Give them an Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Scare the daylights out of them. Shake them to their core. Until they say, God, I've been wrong and I want to be right. Not about... Christmas, but about Jesus Christ and the will of God. God's work requires our faith. Jesus saw their faith. 
it challenges me to think, Lord, I want, I want you to see my faith. Not just by what I think, but by what I do and what I say and how I live. And you know what? God wants to see our faith. If you have been comforted in the fact that I'm saved and I'm okay and I'm just going to I'm going to sit this out the rest of my life and just be glad when Jesus comes and I go to heaven. I want to tell you, you ought to rethink that logic and say, I want, I want, I want to live by faith, by real faith, for God's glory. Could someone, could you, I already mentioned this, but Brother Hawkins brought this out in his sermon this morning. You know, what, what do our children see in us? You know, when they... When they see us, do they see that we're people of faith? That our faith governs our life? That our faith impacts our decisions? That our faith shapes our priorities? Do our children see that in us? I'm not saying we ought to try to impress people. I'm just saying if our faith is real, the more our faith is real to us, the more it's going to pack the way we live. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved... You need Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. He, the salvation starts on the inside and works its way out. Amen? You may need to come tonight, young person or adult, and say, I, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. Say, well, I, I really have concerns about it, but I don't know what to do. By faith, come to Jesus. By faith. Amen?